0: Okay. Welcome back, and uh, a warm welcome again to everyone who's who's watching at home. Thanks for joining us. So, for those of you who uh, who weren't here last week, uh, I spoke about the foundations of contemplative practice. I talked about five different things that from. Uh, My experience and view really need to be in place before we can look inside and cultivate the mind and the heart. And so the first of those was a sense of of safety. Not only physical safety, but emotional, psychological safety, feeling that we're welcome, some sense of belonging. Belonging. And all of the many ways in which in our society today, based on the various identities that we carry, um, that might not be the case, particularly in different communities, we might not feel welcome or safe. And so learning to find the places in our life where we feel safe, safe enough. Right, to close one's eyes and look inside and be with our experience takes take safety. So this was the first foundation we explored. And I talked about groundedness, a sense of having a center and a root, needing to really cultivate and find that within. We also talked about the importance of friendship and community. And it's such a core need for us as human beings. And it's very difficult to be on one's own and to to find the, the space inside to explore if we don't feel held by others in our lives. So developing uh, close bonds and friendships. And then two particular intentions that are very powerful in life and in contemplative practice. Uh, intention of kindness, being gentle with oneself, and the intention of interest. So rather than wanting to fix or change ourselves or finally be perfect or good enough, all of those, those ways that we can use contemplative practice to somehow beat ourselves up or not accept ourselves, instead just genuinely wanting to understand. So these five foundations set the framework for contemplative practice. This evening I want to talk about this one particular quality that is essential, not just in contemplative practice, but in life. And that's energy. What is it? How do we use it? And how do we apply it in our life and in our practice? So the word in the early Buddhist texts for, uh, for energy is virya. And it's connected to the, to the same word. Uh, we have in English uh, virile, right? meaning strong or having vitality. So uh, it has this um, connotation of vigor, also sometimes translated as persistence or enthusiasm, that sense of being filled with a quality of aliveness and energy. This is one of the most important resources we have in life, is our energy. Almost everything we do uses energy. Right, it, even thinking uses energy. If you've ever been sick, like really laid out, you know, and we can't think because all of the body's energy is going into healing. Being distracted takes energy. Accomplishing our goals, uh, relating to other people, just being, just simply breathing and being alive, takes energy. One of the things that we see through our contemplative practice is that trying to control, trying to manipulate experience takes a lot of energy. Resisting things, very expensive, costs a lot of energy to resist things. Chasing after things, greed, hatred, these, en- these burn up a lot of energy inside. So, how we use our life energy, our life force, is an essential choice that we make every day, and the amount that's available to us—you know—sometime in our twenties, from that point on, <laughs> it, it just goes down. You know, the curve's slow at first. I'm 41 now, so like, it's the curve is starting to change. <laughs> I can feel it. And the mentors, the elders who I'm very grateful to have in my life, the the teachers that I've spent time with who are in their 70s now, when I spent time with them, you know, one of the things that they comment on regularly is, is much less energy, much less energy. You know, the body just doesn't have the same energy. So, just part of being a wise and mature human on the planet means learning how to steward this resource, this vital resource of energy. And there's obviously a very uh, very poignant and important parallel here between how we use energy in our own personal life and how we as a civilization use energy, which I hope to kind of tease out a little bit tonight so this this path this uh, this practice of meditation and all of the supports and teachings that go along with it. Um, have a lot to recommend exploring energy there 's much we can learn about our own patterns, how to modulate energy and use it wisely it 's one of the often it 's one of the most commonly mentioned qualities in the early Buddhist texts and also one of the most misunderstood. So this word virya, or energy, as many of you who have studied Buddhism know, the Buddha uses lists a lot to teach. He liked, he liked having templates. So in, the, in, the, in ancient India, this was uh, an oral culture. Things were not written down. So having certain lists was a great way to remember things and, and categorize teachings. And so this particular factor of energy shows up in the five spiritual faculties. It's one of the seven factors of awakening, one of the seven qualities that the Buddha said are necessary for enlightenment. It's one of the ten paramis, the ten perfections of the heart mind. It's also considered one of the four bases of power. That's a pretty cool name, huh? The bases of power. Like if you want to accomplish anything in life, right, you need energy. So, today in the West, um, a lot of uh, the teachers, myself included, place a great emphasis on relaxing and non doing in meditation practice because many of us uh, in the West, um, because of the kind of dominant white culture here in the United States, are caught up in overachieving, over efforting, pushing, right? That's the kind of the, the stream, the tide of our culture. And so to balance that, to counter that, in the meditation practice, um, there's a, a great emphasis on just learning how to relax, learning how to slow down, learning how to not do, because many of us have been so conditioned by our society to equate our sense of self-worth, our identity with doing. That when we when all of a sudden it's like, well, don't do anything, it's like, oh, like, what do I do if I'm not doing something? How do I just how do I just chill out? How do I just relax, right? Yet if you look at the early texts, there's a whole lot of doing. <laughs> The Buddha emphasizes over and over again, one generates desire, one makes an effort, one arouses energy, one endeavors, arouses persistence, upholds and exerts intent. I mean, there's a lot of vigor there, right? But again, we have to keep in mind the context. This is ancient India. This is a mostly agrarian community. So they weren't living in a, in, a, in a time where the pace of life and the number of demands and pressures every day were as intense as it is now. So, so there's this balance between the relaxation, the non-doing, but also the sense of really applying oneself. So energy gets misunderstood because we equate it with our cultural associations with pushing or forcing We're trying too hard. That's not the kind of energy that I think the Buddha was talking about. So when our energy is balanced, when it's bright and steady, it feels really good. Think about when you're doing an activity that you love, that you want to be doing, whether it's playing a sport with somebody, or cooking, if you knit or have a craft or play music, right, when we're doing something that we love, that we want to do, there's a sense of innate connection to it, intrinsic motivation. There's a lot of energy there. And that energy is self-sustaining, right? There's that sense of like, yes, I want to be doing this, I'm enjoying it, it's feeding me as I'm giving to it, right? Right? So there can be that, that sort of reciprocal relationship with the activity and the energy. And that feels really nourishing for us. This is the kind of energy that we want to learn how to access and use in meditation practice. And, if possible, in all areas of our life. To find that relationship of balance, steadiness, and innate desire a healthy motivation with what we're doing when our energy is low or scattered that doesn't feel so good right we're less effective if our energy isn't balanced if it's kind of like go or bust and then low we can burn out so in anything that we're doing, how we're using our energy is essential. And if we, if we don't have enough energy, we can't focus, we're not functioning well, we're wasting time, or we don't act. And then the reverse, if we have too much energy, we're restless. So the first point in exploring energy is that we all have it. Right? I mean, you wouldn't be sitting up <laughs> here in the room or listening at home, if we didn't have energy, it's innate. At the same time, we all have certain patterns around energy. Our our use of energy has been been kind of formed or molded or shaped through our life experiences and through our culture and our society. So the predominant model for using energy um, in the kind of... Western capitalist economy is the fossil fuel model. right? Which is burn it like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Just use it all up now. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the planet. Don't worry about our grandchildren or our children. Just use it. Burn it. This is the extraction model. Literally and figuratively. Right, Get as much as I can out now. So it's useful to kind of for me to contemplate how does that model show up in our life? Right? Are we relating to our work, to our relationships, to ourselves in that way of get as much as I can as quickly as I can. And après moi le déluge, right? After me the flood. So we see this also in, like, many times our relationship with, with caffeine or sugar. You know how we, we use substances to kind of get that boost of energy to just go, 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 and then collapse. So, uh, one, of my, one of the meditation teachers who I've spent a lot of time with used a really kind of powerful metaphor on one retreat that I sat that stayed with me um, about Meditating. He was saying it's like, you know, you sometimes we come to the meditation and we're we're so kind of gung ho and ready to like strive for enlightenment and push and do it and I'm gonna meditate. It's like you're sitting in the car and you're <clears throat> pumping on the pedal and you don't even haven't even checked to see if there's any gas in the tank. Right? So do we have the right gear? Are we relating to the energy we have in the most sustainable way. So part of the shift that we need to make, I think both individually and also as a civilization, is this shift from this extraction model, this just burn it and bust, to something that's more sustainable. right? A cleaner, slow, steady burn. Something that's more renewable, that we can draw on not just today, but for longer time. And then we reserve the high-impact stuff for the times that it's really needed. Right? We reserve that um, really more intense energy for accomplishing, uh, for meeting a really intense challenge or getting through a difficult time. But if we rely on that kind of really powerful energy every day, we burn out. Right? Your adrenal glands actually burn out. We get adrenal fatigue. So, the ways that we use energy in our lives um, starts to become shaped into certain molds or forms, and then we and then we we kind of relate to ourselves and to activities with those habitual patterns. So it might be perfectionism. Mm, believing that everything has to be just right, and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves or others and hold unreasonable standards. It might be obsessive self-criticism, using energy to beat ourselves up, or addiction, constantly feeding something, being a workaholic, not being able to stop, or procrastinating, or just wilting, just kind of giving up. So these, these ways of using energy burn up our resources and uh, drive us. We have less choice. And they, they limit our ability to actually thrive, to experience well-being. So we can start to investigate these patterns and these programs and, and see, well, what's driving them? We can bring awareness to, to see, well, what's actually happening here? Why do I keep finding myself in this groove? And in particular, bringing kindness, bringing some compassion to see, okay, this is hard, you know, this is not serving me. As we start to pay attention and study energy in our life and in our meditation practice, and the two are not separate. Meditation practice is like a laboratory. It's an experimenting ground to observe life. And then the things that we see in meditation, hopefully we are applying to the rest of our lives. So what we can learn by studying the way the mind works in meditation and in life is that there are different phases of applying energy. There are different kinds of energy. There's physical energy, there's mental energy, there's emotional energy... Right? When, we, when we feel really emotional, if we cry or if we feel really angry or upset about something, we're exhausted later. It takes a lot of energy. Right? You can sit at your computer all day long thinking, and your body's exhausted later. It didn't do any work, but the mind was working, burning up energy. So learning how to, um, how to marshal our energy, how to gather it, how to apply it, how to regulate it, how to direct it in the right direction. So there's the energy of initiating a task. This is like if you're riding a bike. When you first get on the bike, you actually have to pedal a little bit harder to get going, right? Or you just fall over. Or if you've ever watched a bird take off. right At first, that bird's got to flap its wings pretty hard to break the, the inertia of sitting there and to actually get aloft. So, in any task, in any endeavor, whether it's doing a project, getting out of the house to come here, <laughs> or meditating, those, that initial phase, we often have to, we have to bring more energy forward. So in meditation practice, this is called vitakka. This is the energy of aiming the mind or connecting with the object. It takes more energy. It's like pedaling the bike, that bird flapping its wings then if you've ever ridden a bike or watched a bird right once you, once you get going you can start you can actually you get some loft you get some momentum so then there's the energy of sustaining an activity which is different once we're in the flow of something if we keep applying that initial energy it's too much right so we have to shift gears we have to modulate so this, in, in the Buddhist psychology, this is, uh, this is called vichara, sometimes called sustaining, or evaluating. It's the sense of staying with what's happening. Whether it's a task, not getting distracted, right? There's a notification on the phone. Do we, does our attention drift? Oh, what's that? Or are we able to stay connected with what we've actually chosen to do? Same thing with the meditation. You know, so you find the breath, you're staying with it now. Can you stay with an out-breath all the way through to the end and then wait for the next in-breath? And so the, the martial arts are a wonderful way of tuning into this quality of sustaining energy. Right? If you've done Tai Chi or Qigong, there's that sense of the movements are meant to be fluid so as you move, it's, there isn't that sense of this, this jerking, pushing, jerking, and then dropping. Right? The, the movement is, is graceful and continuous, and there's no break in it. It's fluid. So one way that we can explore this in, in our life is just with very simple mundane tasks. So take, for example, washing the dishes. So there's that initial sense of, you know, you look at the dishes, it's like, oh God, I don't want to do the dishes. <laughs> once you get started, it's not so bad, right? It's just like, okay, I'm doing the dishes, the water, the soap, you know. So once you get started, then, then pay attention. Are you trying to rush through it? Right? Okay, let's just get this over with, right? Are you able to sustain your attention and your energy through the entire thing all the way? And then what happens at the end, right? Is it like, okay, it's over and there's like water all over the counter and you haven't emptied that little thing in the sink that has all the bits of food in it. You just, you don't really finish the job. You do most of it, but then you're just like, all right, whatever, it's done. Can you sustain your energy all the way through to the end? Finish the job, do it completely, so these little things matter this is what we learn through meditation practice is that everything that we do in life matters because everything that we do shapes our mind shapes our heart it's not just washing the dishes it's not just brushing your teeth it's your life it's your energy and how you are doing that is laying down a new pattern. It's, you're, we are continually molding our own consciousness with the way that we engage in activities. So the way, there's a wonderful book by a woman named Sherry Huber, and the title of the book is The Way You Do Anything is the Way You Do Everything. This gets at that essence. So there's different kinds of energy, these different phases of energy. There's also just the energy of being. And this is very important to start to, to start to tune into and experience. The innate vitality of the body, the innate vibrancy of consciousness, to be alive, to be awake and aware, has its own kind of energy. It's like it's like a natural spring, like water just bubbling up. And can we can we start to experience that? We actually have to slow down enough to be receptive to that. We have to stop doing a little bit and really listen to feel that energy of being and then when we can feel that we can start to allow that to move us we can live more in harmony with it this is one of the fundamental principles that we learn through contemplative practice is that when we live in line with the natural laws of things we don't suffer But when we when we push and pull and resist and control, there's friction. That friction is called dukkha, stress, or suffering, difficulty. So another thing that we start to observe as we pay attention to energy is we, we start to get more familiar with our own rhythms personally, and we've each got different rhythms. Different phases and cycles of energy. So some of us are more morning people. Some of us, we hit our stride somewhere in the middle of the day. Other people are night owls, right? And instead of trying to fight against that, trying to work with it, right? And see, like, where is my energy the strongest? And how do I play to my strengths? Instead of trying to conform to some idea that we think we're supposed to fit into. I think... um, someone was telling me that in in some countries in Europe uh there actually so there have been studies that have been done on this uh these different the circadian rhythms that we have and the different ways in which um people have energy at different times of day and in certain countries in Europe employers have actually said well you know if you're more of a night owl like don't come in at 8am like you're not going to get anything done for the first few hours of the day you know like come in at 11 or 12 and then stay stay at work until 8 or 9 or the people who are morning people like fine come in at 4 or 5am right if that's when your energy that's when you're up right and so people go figure people are happier more productive more efficient right if we're living in line with our rhythms and this is not just a daily thing right it's also in t- tune with the seasons you know so it's winter now so there's that sense of being more internal wanting to be inside not necessarily having a lot of energy and that's natural and this is this is one of the great tragedies of our civilization where we have you know the the amazing gift of electricity and international transport where you can, you know, buy food that's out of season, you know, in different places. Um, but we lose touch with the actual rhythm of the seasons. And then we lose touch with our bodies. And the messages that our bodies are sending us of like, you know, sleep more in the winter. <laughs> it's dark, right? Have you noticed that? That the, the body kind of wants to sleep more in the winter. It says, this is part of our body's natural rhythm. And so it's helpful to just get to know yourself and to honor your natural rhythm. Uh, Ajahn Chah, one of the great Thai forest meditation masters of the last century, uh, had a wonderful analogy with meditation practice. Yeah, he was he once said, you know, you need to know what you're working with. You think you've got an 18-wheeler, but you actually have just a little a little red wheelbarrow that you're pulling behind you. So again, there's that sense of knowing, like, is there gas in the tank, right? What am I actually working with here? How much energy do I have to apply? As we start to pay attention to how we use energy, how much we have energy, um, we begin to become more conscious of conserving energy and of making wiser choices of regulating our energy. How much energy do we waste in life doing tasks that don't really matter or that we'd rather not do with conversations that we actually don't want to be having. We're thinking about things that are pointless, running over the same thing over and over in our mind, wasting energy. planning, obsessing, using our energy up on fantasies about the future, or rehashing the past, trying to control it or make it different than it was, thinking it, thinking that same thing over and over again. So, you know, some ways we need to make the mistake, but are we learning? Are we learning from how we use our energy and seeing if we get to the end of the day and it's like, man, you know, I did like 50 things that weren't important but I didn't do that one thing that was actually the most important. What's that about? Are we using our energy wisely? So sometimes this means having the courage to set limits, right? Being willing to say no. With love. Don't need to be harsh about it. Being able to acknowledge, like, if I say yes to this, then I won't be able to say yes to something else that's more important to me. So being willing to say no, and then also learning to really say yes. Sometimes we can feel paralyzed, afraid to act, and being able to find that, that genuine feeling inside that says, yes, this is... I do want this, and being willing to really go for it. We can get so confused by the messages of our parents or friends, voices in our head, that we we lose touch with what's actually authentic. What do I actually want? What's actually important to me? Really listening for that, and when we feel that, when we find that, Your energy lines up. It's like, yes, I want to do this. Things feel aligned, and all of a sudden, there's that cycle. There's that reciprocal energy. I want to be doing this. I'm giving to it, and it's feeding me. One way of making wiser choices with how we use our energy is to reflect on our mortality. When we consider things in the light of death, what's important becomes very clear, very quickly. Like, is this worth my time? You know, at the end of the day, if this were my last day, would I have regrets with how I've used my time? Are we happy with how we're using our energy? Very useful I would encourage you to do this every day. When you get to the end of the day, before you go to bed, think about it. If I don't wake up tomorrow, if this were my last day, would I be happy with how I spent my time and energy? And if not, learn from that. Say, what did I do today that was pointless, that I don't want to waste time on anymore? And do it differently the next day the buddha recommended that we reflect on death every single day it's like a vaccine it's like a little vaccine against wasting our life so that we don't end up with regrets and if you get to that you know that place you're reflecting and you say Notice the things that you do feel good about having done. And really dwell in the gladness of that. Like, appreciate it. Take that in. Like, you know, yeah, I wasted some time there. That was kind of pointless. But I did this, and that felt really good. Really focus on that. Let that nourish you. Strengthen it so that the next day you're more likely to follow in that direction. So we learn about the different kinds of energy, initiating, sustaining, following through the energy of being, our patterns of energy, how it gets molded, uh, our own rhythms, rhythms of the day, rhythms of the seasons, how to set boundaries and make choices. We also can start to find different sources of energy, Like, where do we draw our energy from? Where does that come from? Again, both in life and in our contemplative practice. So fundamentally, energy comes from the heart. Energy comes from willingness. From From that innate sense of yes. I want to do this. This is another very misunderstood aspect of Buddhism. Right? Desire. Craving is the cause of suffering, right? Well, Craving is a very specific kind of desire. The word is tanha, it means thirst. It's a, it's a reflexive, obsessive kind of hunger. It's not what's meant, the kind of healthy desire inside that says, yes, this is something I want to give my life energy to. That's, that's very important for us as human beings. That's the kind of energy we need to practice meditation. Is this innate, wholehearted willingness to do something. So where do you feel that in your life? Where do you feel that wholehearted yes? Is it when you make a cup of coffee for your for your loved one in the morning? Is it when you walk your dog? Is it when you get home and you pull out that book that you're reading and you're like, ah, yes. What it is you're doing is less important than, than starting to identify and notice that quality of wholehearted willingness. Because that's the source of... Of a, of a renewable kind of energy, this willingness inside. Learn to learn to notice when that's present, so that you can find how to access it and listen for that in your life more. Again, going back to the to the Buddhist texts, one of the phrases about meditation practice and the whole path in general, the cultivating the noble eightfold path, the Buddha says. Make a joyful effort. I love that. Make a joyful effort. It's not that sense of drudgery, like oh, I gotta go meditate. uh, Sit on my cushion. You know know that feeling, right? What would it be like if this is like, yes, make a joyful effort. You know, light a candle, burn a stick of incense, put some put some flowers out. Like set set the table for your meditation. And the uh, Vietnamese Zen master, poet, and peace activist uh, Thay Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, "I meditate because I enjoy it." He says we should always smile a little bit when we meditate. He encourages his students and disciples to meditate with just a very small smile on their face. This is not for everyone. so (laughs) Some of us who are more cynical are like, I'm not smiling. (laughs) That's fine. But, you know, try it out sometime. What would it be like to actually try to tap into some of that enjoyment? To notice what it is that you do like about meditation. Even just appreciating the fact that you have the time or the space to meditate, even for a few minutes, what a gift. Right? Can we find some enjoyment in that? There's um, the energy of courage. I think it takes a lot of courage to be awake today. I think it always takes a lot of courage to be awake, but particularly today. The level of violence that exists in our society. There's always been violence in human civilization. Violence against women, violence of racism, the violence of poverty, violence against transgendered individuals. It's quite brutal. It takes a lot of courage to, to open one's heart and be in touch with that. And it takes energy. It takes a lot of courage to be aware of what's happening on the planet, climate change. So there's a certain energy that comes from courage. And if we don't have courage, that's okay too. You know, then we just we practice with kindness. We practice resting. Coming back to the ground, coming back to safety, coming back to community, these foundations I spoke of last week, and strengthening. Fundamentally for spiritual cultivation, the kind of energy we need is Endurance. Because it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's, it's a slow, slow, steady path. The willingness to show up every day, one moment at a time, and just keep learning, listening, being humbled by life. It's not just for a 45 minute sit or a seven day retreat. This practice is for a lifetime. Some would even say lifetimes. You know, so how do we pace ourselves? The beauty of this is that it doesn't need to be a burden, it's actually a relief. It's like you don't have to do it all right now. We want to make the best use of our time, but you know, if you're going on a long journey, right, it's like just one step at a time. want um, I want to close with uh, with a few tips on um, working with our energy hopefully giving you a lot of different things to explore and think about but I, I always like to bring it back to the concrete really really practical so like all right like, well what do I do you know so when we're thinking about energy, Again, it starts with the body, come back to the basics. Are we getting enough sleep? Are we exercising? Are we eating well? And if our body's not healthy, it's very difficult to do anything. So when we're talking about energy, that's the foundation, is learning how to take care of this body. This is our vehicle for awakening. This is, this is our instrument for doing good in the world for sharing and giving are we taking care of it you know if you own a car you probably change the oil every 3 to 5000 miles and you know if you don't you're going to burn out your engine right so this thing's a lot more than a car right it needs it needs to be cared for and respected and if we do it will it will give I mean, it will give regardless. These bodies are amazing. We treat them like, you know, it's criminal sometimes how much we push our body and it just keeps giving. It just keeps giving. So generous. So give back to it. Take care of it. Pay attention to your thinking. As I was saying earlier, thinking burns up a lot of energy. We waste a lot of energy thinking about things that are pointless, that don't serve us. There's a very funny, uh, very funny text I came across uh, doing some, some research for this talk where the Buddha's describing the different thoughts that can lead us to laziness, to, to not actually arousing energy. And I'll just read you a few lines from it. So I have to do some work, but I'll be tired afterwards. I better lie down now. I just worked really hard, my body's tired, I should lie down. I have to go on a journey, that'll tire me out. I better lie down now. I just went on a journey, I'm tired, I should lie down now. (laughs) There's that sense of sometimes it's like we think that we're afraid of being tired, so we have to rest, right? Or it's like, oh, I'm so tired, I need to rest. So how we think about energy can sometimes affect whether or not we have energy. So the interesting thing here is that sometimes being stingy with our energy actually depletes it, right? If we're like, I have to preserve my energy, I don't have enough, and then we actually don't feel energy. It's like, I'm too tired, so I won't give. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the more we give, the more energy we have. It's like you need to prime the pump a little bit. If we're tired, if we give a little bit more energy, it actually starts to go. And then, we, and then we can actually be in that cycle. At the same time, in terms of energy, really, really essential to know when and how to rest. Really learning to, to discern the body's signals. For when is it too much? When do we need to take a break? And not overriding this has been a huge area of learning for me and, and still is because my you know, my conditioning, um, particularly as, as a male and as a white person, is like overachieve, keep pushing, keep going. And um, yeah, I've spent lots of time feeling burned out, overriding, pushing past my limits because of the, the messages that I internalized growing up. So learning, to, learning to, to discern those signals that say, maybe that's enough, right? Maybe I worked enough today. Maybe, maybe I can rest now or do something that's going to be enjoyable or relaxing. Also learning how to receive. How to take things in. How to receive from others. Very important practice sometimes uncomfortable? Do you let others give to you? Can you receive like the the beauty and the nourishment of drinking a glass of water? Allowing your body to be nourished by food when you eat, really paying attention. Letting yourself be nourished by nature looking at a tree feeling the wind hearing the rain and to give to give energy to to let energy flow through us we also need to be able to receive energy we have to be able to let it in and we don't we don't just get energy from sleep and food we we get energy through our senses through relationships, through enjoyment. So this is a very, very important aspect of, of feeling fulfilled as a human being. So allowing ourselves to receive. A lot of meditation practice is about learning to receive. Learning to receive the breath. Learning to receive experience. There's a one of the movement teachers here at Spirit Rock, uh, Tija Bell, teaches Qigong. One of the things that he says over and over again that I love when he teaches is he says, he says, underdo it. Underdo it. Do less. Do less. This is a great way to learn how to receive. What would it be like to make less effort? How can I make as little effort as possible in this activity? Not because I'm being stingy, but because I'm trying to find that balance that sense of fluidity and effortlessness. And we can learn a lot from nature, too, about energy. Just observing, observing a stream. In, uh, in Taoism, they have the, the principle of wu-wei, of effortless action, the way water flows around obstacles effortlessly. There's a lot we can learn from that in our own life. Or go out here to Muir Woods and just, just stand by a redwood. That thing knows how to use energy. <laughs> Thousands of years old, right? Very patient, steady, no hurry. And here we are like these little ant's. 60, 70, 80, 90 years on the planet running around like mad. And perhaps one more one more way of um, working with energy is a, is a question that you can ask yourself. It's a very powerful to find the right balance of energy which is just what's needed what's needed right now what's in this situation for this task for this moment what's needed how much energy is called for and you can start to start to study it start to start to feel it out And so all of this can be taken into and explored in our meditation practice, which is the laboratory for our life. So experimenting with how do we sustain energy throughout a period of meditation for 30, 45 minutes, an hour? How do we feel a sense of of a strong yes, a willingness to be there? How do we sustain the posture, upright posture, for 45 minutes or an hour without getting exhausted not pushing but not slouching finding that balance what's needed now how do we stay with the breath in a way that's sustainable just receiving each breath one at a time how do we find that energy of kindness and move it through move it through the body and the more we study this in our meditation and in our life, and they feed each other. The lessons that we learn in our daily life about using our energy come back into our meditation practice. We find, we find more balance and steadiness and continuity. And those, those short moments of understanding or insight in the meditation that we experience, those transfer and show up in our life. So I'll stop here and offer this for your reflection tonight. Thanks so much for your kind attention. So we have um, have a few minutes for questions. And um, while we're getting the mics and waiting for the first question, I'll just, um, just say... If uh, if this has been meaningful for you, or if you'd like to to stay in touch, I would love that. And um, the best way to do that is through my email list. And so, for those who are here tonight, there's a clipboard out on the table. There, um, it comes with a free guided meditation series and also a short ebook on meditation practice that I wrote. So you can print your email address clearly. This is a mindfulness practice. If you don't write clearly, you won't get the emails. Um, and if you're at home, you can also go to my website, which is com, and you can sign up right there. Any, any questions about your meditation practice or about anything I've shared this evening? We have time for one or two short ones. Uh, For someone who's first starting a meditation practice, is there a certain uh, learning curve that you would typically anticipate where X number of times or something? I know it probably varies in terms of people's developing comfort or proficiency. X number of times of what? Meditating. Before what? Before one begins to become more adept, like you mentioned, like the flying, where there's more effort involved initially in a bird starting uh-huh, than yeah, once yeah. it's aloft. I'm sure yeah, for people sure. who meditate regularly, to meditate yeah, yeah. is a more yeah, yeah. straightforward process it than differs for initiating. It really depends on the individual. Yeah, some people take to it right away. Others take a few years. It's really, it's really individual. Uh, what's 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 more important is um, that you feel a connection with the sincerity of wanting to do it, and also that you're getting good guidance and instruction, so that you're practicing correctly. Yeah, and then just just stick with it and be curious and observe. Yeah. So I get the feeling that maybe folks want to want to go home, and we lost about a third of the room just now. <laughs> So, um, which is fine. Um, so why don't, why don't we wrap up for the night? I'll, um, I'll just say one or two more things about some upcoming uh, programs and events uh, for those who, who might be interested. So uh, in a couple weeks, I'm teaching a uh, six-day retreat down near Santa Cruz on nonviolent communication. And uh, there are still a few spots left, and that's the beginning of an eight-month intensive training program that meets one weekend a month in Berkeley on bringing uh, the the tools and skills of communication into our relationships and life. And so there's a couple of flyers about that out on the table uh, if you're interested. Uh, I'm also in the process of teaching a 12-week online course based on my book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. I know a couple of you are probably in the course or here tonight. And so we just started. Um, Registration actually closes tonight. It's the last night you can register. Um, The course is live. I teach it every Wednesday night, but each session is also uh, recorded. So if you miss one, you can watch it later or listen to it later. Um, And there's some flyers for that also out on the table. So um, feel free to check that out if you're interested. So thanks so much for uh, choosing to come spend the evening together. Maybe let's just end with a moment of quiet and uh, sharing the, the goodness of our time for the benefit of others. May the beautiful intentions that have brought us together tonight grow in each of us. And may they bear fruit with wisdom, kindness, and deep understanding for our own happiness and for the peace and freedom of all creatures on the planet. May there be more peace on this beautiful earth. So much for your practice. I'll be back here at Spirit Rock in April for that day long program. Feel free to join me. Look forward to seeing you again at some point.